Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast, where each week I'm joined by some of the world's most renowned faces in the entertainment industry, on the sports field, and corporate leaders around the world sharing their own truths and their personal journeys. With a career in acting starting back in 2002, Rachel Herdwood was picked for the role of Wendy Darling for the feature film Peter Pan, which saw the start of a blossoming career in TV and film. Through her role, her performance received great reviews, and she was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Performance by a Younger Actor, and a Young Artist Award for Best Performance in a Feature Film, Leading Young Actress. Rachel went on to have further success scoring major roles such as Betsy Bell in the thriller An American Haunting, where she was nominated for a Teen Choice Award and appeared in the adaptation of the best-selling novel Perfume, playing opposite Alan Rickman. Again, her portrayal was nominated for the Best Supporting Actress Award at the 33rd Saturn Awards by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Films. In a first contemporary role, she was cast as Corey McKenzie, one of the principal characters in the Australian action-adventure film Tomorrow When the War Began, based on the novel by John Marsden, which went on to receive highly acclaimed recognition and saw Rachel continue to take on roles throughout TV and film. She's also a model, an incredible writer too, that I came to find out. And last but not least, she's a wife and a mother. So firstly, welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. It's, um, you know, what? I, I was doing my research and it's it's an extensive career you've had and lots of credits to your name. So congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, one thing that I do like to do when I get people onto the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. So again, thank you for coming and, and being a part of it and really opening up and sharing your journey. But I suppose what we do is like to go behind the persona or the person that people think they know on the TV and screen and they take away this ideal picture of what what or who they may think you are. So can you just take us a little bit back into your, your journey, I suppose, because I do just want to bring one thing up that I thought was really good, that is it up to your grandparents that you owe the thanks to your career because they saw an advertisement for Peter Pan? That's absolutely right. Yeah, it was. Um, they had a new TV channel installed that morning, and then they were just flicking through the channels and saw that there was an audition for they were or that they were casting for Peter Pan. And then, yeah, fast forward, <laughs> and then yeah, strange, strange how these things come about. <laughs> it's amazing though. Your grandparents just say that, and then it's gone in. So was that obviously? You went for that audition. You'd never done anything role-playing within school plays or anything to actually get you ready or prep for that sort of thing? No, no. I was really, really shy and never really into the whole drama thing. So it was um, just my mum said, do you want to go um, to London for a day trip? And, uh, oh, by the way, we could go to an audition for a film. So when the film comes out, you can tell your friends that you auditioned for it. So I thought, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, when you're 11, you just kind of go along with things. So we had our day out, the audition, and um, then, yeah, 
a few steps later I think there was like four auditions in total and then a screen test in Australia which was all very exciting but I didn't want to go to it because there was a family holiday booked that I was quite excited about and then my mum said oh we can't do it but you're going to go to Australia instead and I just cried and I said oh I don't want to I don't want to and then my parents kind of convinced me that maybe it was a good idea to do it so I'm quite glad I did in the end. (laughs) That's an amazing story. Did you to say that that was your like your first role in a major film Peter Pan like that that's huge in itself and to go from being I suppose shy and uh, were you introvert at that time how did you bring yourself out of that I suppose to get on a production set get in front of people in front of strangers I suppose that's a good question I think when you're a child you tend to just accept things more so things maybe don't seem quite as strange like I don't think I really had an understanding of it, it wasn't as daunting as it probably would have been if if I'd never acted now and now at 31 was thrown into it, it would be a very different experience. Weird parallel, but it's probably like driving. Like I'm trying to learn to drive now and I'm awful and I hate it and I find it very anxiety. <laughs> tend to have an easier time with it. So I think, um, yeah, being on a film set, because I went from where I, when I was at school, I was really quiet and I just had my small group of friends and I was in the library at lunchtime and I didn't really want to get too involved. Um, then, but being in such a completely different environment in a way was what enabled it because it was just like everyone was telling me this is what you need to do. You don't really, yeah, you just, you really get told what to do. So it was more just sort of following instruction than feeling like I had to to do anything in particular. Yeah. And I suppose going through that experience for your first one at such a young age, did you realise like, how can I put this? It's like, it's Peter Pan. So it's magical in itself. Did that propel you to think I can do this for a career? Like I really like this. Um, I didn't really think about that. I think at that time I was really intent on becoming a marine biologist because I was obsessed with dolphins. Um, So career wise, it wasn't really, I didn't really have my head in that game. Again, it it was a strange thing because I never really chose to go into, well, I never chose to go into acting. Um, but the, doing that film then meant that I had an agent who then put me up for things. So it just kind of all snowballed. It felt quite out of, it wasn't really, a, I didn't have much agency behind it, I suppose is the right term. It just kind of happened and I didn't stop it, but I didn't actively choose it until later on in life, until my early 20s when I kind of took stock and took a step back and went, I don't know if I even want to do this. Do I want to do this? And then decided I did. But before that, it was all just I was just kind of doing what I was told. And that brought you um, back to Australia, didn't it, for uh, Tomorrow When the War Began? And like a great cast there, like Lincoln Lewis came onto the campaign. He's a great guy, you know him really well. And yeah. you worked with those guys. And was it, was it something that did a lot of people know that you was a British actress? That I was on that job. Yeah, because obviously you're playing there alongside a lot of Australians. Like, it must be credit if they thought you were Australian, but did they know you were a British actress? I think I had a couple of people, when I was doing promotion for it, they did say, oh, we were surprised that, to hear you speak now with an English accent, which I was really pleased with. And, um, yeah, because, you know, you don't want to yeah. stick out like a But, I mean, the reason I did stick out like a sore thumb was I'll never forget the – we did um, – we had to do group personal training for the for, like a bonding exercise at the very beginning. And it was apparent who the kind of pasty Brit was because all these strong. <laughs> and I was at the back just huffing and puffing. And really not- 
really not wanting to take part. We had some sort of drill sergeant PT shouting at us to run up these flights of stairs. I just said, I really don't want to. I thought, why? Why have I come here to do that? I thought I came to do an acting job. We'd be made to run up. <laughs> uh, well, I've... Um... I've been here 17 years now. I'm obviously from Yorkshire and I can't lose the accent. Like, <laughs> so it's a little bit mixed between uh, Australian and Yorkshire, but that's all yeah. right. Um, what I really want to touch on, obviously with the Imperfectly Perfect campaign, it's talking about mental health, mental well-being, And I suppose within that kind of industry or just in a general sense, I know mental health can touch us all at various stages of our life. And I know me and you prior to this, we were speaking about Anxiety has touched you and an eating disorder. Is that something that you can talk a little bit further on? Yeah, um, I'd say it's funny actually mentioning the uh, Australian film Tomorrow When the War Began because I feel that was really when things kind of spiralled a bit for me. I, up until that point, had just kind of white-knuckled through life in a very anxious state and never really addressed it. I think that sense of, even though, of course, it was a really positive thing and a really good thing to do, acting stuff and all of that it was quite a weird world and I still was um you know very shy and not really suited to it all I saw other people around me who really wanted to do it and really um had the the appetite for it and the the ability and with things like events you know again I'm hard I really I want to make it clear that I'm aware it was a very privileged thing to be doing so I'm not trying to get people to get out their violin for me you know um strange kind of um, it was a strange childhood, I suppose. Um, but in and amongst that, I was quite an anxious person and that just, uh, it was all kept inwards. And then when I went and did that film in Australia, it was just, I think, being away from home, this whole different environment. Um, yeah, I just went a bit nuts and um, just started eating everything in sight. And I felt like up until that point, I'd had this idea of what an actress was supposed to be. So, you know, I was really... Um, kind of limited what I ate and I never had a full-blown eating disorder or anything like that but it was very much disordered eating which I think is really miserably prevalent across young women in particular um and yeah it was just I had this idea about okay I have to restrict what I eat and then that would lead to a binge later because of course I was really hungry so you know and then I put on quite a bit of weight whilst we were filming that film which made me really miserable because I was on camera and um, you know and again I loved all of the people that I worked with, but they were all like very slim and, you know, had had their stuff together when it came to doing their workouts and whatever. So everyone looked a certain way. And then I was just sort of putting on the pounds because I was just out drinking all sorts and eating all sorts and just kind of going, letting letting free a bit. I guess I felt like I was kind of just going a bit wild. But um, so that was awkward. And, you know, being told to sort of, oh, you know, you need to makeup artist being like oh, don't forget to suck your tummy and when you're bending forwards and stuff because basically by that point I was just gaining quite a lot of weight um and then subsequently um yeah I just I was just crying a lot I was crying a lot I just remember yeah, lots of nights of just being a bit drunk and a bit tearful and not really knowing why and I think it was just this weird sense of having lived this teenage life quite not of my choice and out of control and then yeah just beginning to really feel that sense of things not being in my control because when you're on when you're doing acting jobs everything is kind of dictated to you and you know and I think that's a really weird thing because then you end up staying a child in a way even into adulthood because I was so used to everything being dictated to me where to go what to do you're going to this audition at this time you're doing you know this is what you're doing so not really having that sense of I mentioned before agency I think it's taken me a long time 
longer than it should have done to reach that sense of agency in my own life. Mm. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed through this campaign and getting to know a lot of people in the entertainment industry is, and I'll I'll put the question to you because I think it's important for anybody looking at that industry. And again, it's everyone's personal experience, but when you're almost, like you say, you're thrust into the limelight, you're doing an incredible job, which you, you find as a privileged as well. And then you, you kind of turn up at these events, you're on production. Sometimes people are telling you to suck your stomach in and, You've got all this. And how old you, was you when you, when you was on that film? That was not. I was nineteen then. So you were still around this age where, like, impressionable looking around and things like that. Was it a case of did you suppress your emotions or did you start speaking about it with those people? But was you with anybody of a support network in Australia because your family obviously being in England, or did someone come with you? No, I was on my own, and I did. You know. To an extent, I did confide in the people that I was around, Phoebe and Caitlin in particular, that's Phoebe Tonkin and Caitlin Stacey. We were all really close. And, you know, I talked to them a lot and kind of expressed existential angst and, and all the rest of it. But I don't think I really would articulate quite how I felt. I think I would joke about things a lot, but I wouldn't really address things directly. So I kind of joke about, oh, you know, going to go and get an ice cream or that's a great joke. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was all just kind of... Um, there was a sense of humor about things and we would always joke about our oh, tomorrow when the diet began because it was always like okay today I've been bad and tomorrow I need to get back on it kind of thing but that that tomorrow didn't typically come um but uh yes yeah, so I, I think I just didn't really have the emotional articulacy to address things at that point I was kind of in in the mess rather than able to take a step back I think it was it took another couple of years after that to reach a point where I just went oh my gosh I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm doing and everything kind of the wheels came off a bit. I think so, especially with regard to the eating thing after that job, um, you know, I'd, I had gained weight and I was then told by my agent that I had to lose weight because I was losing jobs because there were actresses who were thinner than me, which is nice. <laughs> Great. Um, and then uh, I really, please don't anyone do what I did, but um, I decided to take up smoking as a way to try and lose weight, which uh, didn't work and just was really a bad idea. <laughs> really messed up. And then, uh, then I did another job where I had a director telling me to lose weight. So I was just kind of like constantly having this message reinforced. And uh, yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one, you know, because I wasn't um, unhealthily overweight uh, or anything like that, where it sort of was a, a medical issue. It was really a cosmetic issue. And um, I think that's really unfortunate that that's the experience of a lot of people. And there is that pressure, uh, whether you're an actress or not, you know, especially social media now, I'm hardly giving you any new information here, but the fact that people are on display more um, and not just in their day-to-day -day life, they're putting themselves on the internet and up for criticism. And I think that's, that's just such a shame. I feel really passionately about people being able to find more acceptance um, and not have that sort of torture of constantly having to think about food you know it's so boring and I think I spent so many years in that obsession about trying to control what I ate and failing and just feeling like if I just had enough willpower and determination to crush a 6am workout and then drink a smoothie and then that be it until dinner and it's gonna be a green salad or whatever and um that's just such nonsense just, you know and I remember people telling me who seem to have a healthy attitude towards things just live your life like stop obsessing about food and if, it, if there was a social occasion, it'd be like, okay, well, if, if, okay, if we're going out for pizza, that means that I have to have no carbs during the day because that means, and it's just nonsense, you know? And um, 
so I think having freedom from that now which took a long time and um I did require sort of therapy and uh in particular there's a fantastic book that I read called Just Eat It by Laura oh gosh I forget her name now but she's a registered nutritionist and um she's all about intuitive eating which I think is a fantastic framework for anyone who's struggling with disordered eating wow just just listen to it because your story really resonates with me even even as a male perspective i suffered with body dysmorphia being in the health and fitness industry living in australia when you was talking about seeing the other actors and how they work out and i'm living in bondi beach and seeing these bodies and like i totally get it and mine wasn't so much about food it was more the aesthetics and every time i caught sight of me and I was wanting this big aesthetic chest and these arms and I was like why can't I get it and attain it then I'd think of the food and three years I went down that road and it's it's just like you were saying but one of the questions I asked you previously about that supportive network was because I I asked this everyone like there are some times and you mentioned there about the ice cream and things like that and the reason why I asked you that is because I think it's very imperative when people are talking about we do try and tend to drop in hints that we are struggling on a way to see how people respond and pick up to it. But why I wanted to draw on that was when you finally did say enough is enough and you need to sort this out, what did that feel like? Just so people who are listening to this might go, I'm too scared to speak out. I I, I don't know what it's going to do if I do speak out. So for someone who experienced that, what was your personal experience when you finally did open up? Um, I will just say I'm really sorry about all the crashing around upstairs and I might have to pause to change rooms just because I have two small children. To- um, but uh, I think I remember reaching just a real low point of just being consistently really low. Um, I began to just self-sabotage a lot and that meant things like, um, you know, professionally self-sabotaging and within friendships and all of that stuff. Um, and I was just really, really unhappy. And I just reached a point where I felt like I can't keep feeling like this. And that was what prompted me to um, start Googling local therapists, basically, and get get professional help in that way, which, um, again, was fortunate that I was able to access that because I know, like, here we have the NHS and things can take a really long time to get help in that way. And at that point, I was able to do so privately. So, you know, that was that was a very lucky situation to have because it was really really helpful at that time yeah and when you did when you did open up to a therapist I know there's a lot of people who are scared in terms of opening up to a stranger was it was it more lethargic for you to open up to somebody who didn't know you rather than somebody because people have those thoughts of going if I tell a friend or a family member I don't know how they'll think of me will they treat me differently so there's always that kind of misconception of thinking that when we're all really just there wanting to help each other but how was it for you when you opened up to a stranger did you find that helped oh, I loved it because there was you know I, I really did I really did want help and I wanted help from somebody who knew what they were going to be talking about so I think um also probably plays into that again not particularly healthy but just wanting to be told what to do so by subcontracting out how I felt to somebody who was professional I thought okay well they can at least tell me what to do they didn't tell me what to do but they did help me kind of reframe things and uh, get a better understanding of of things and 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 so yeah I, I really like talking to somebody who doesn't have their own agenda when it comes to how things go and um so yeah I found it really helpful I didn't have any I don't know maybe it's maybe it's generational thing I don't know I found it 
fairly easy to be upfront with somebody that I didn't know because I trusted the space I trusted that it was confidential I trusted that you know um yeah they were there I was paying them to help so <laughs> <laughs> that's always a thing um one of the questions I do like to ask everybody on the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. So when it comes to all your experiences, your journey through going through the highs and the lows and to where you are today as a mother, what would you say being imperfectly perfect means to you? I think it's about trying your best, even if things aren't great, even if you have a bad day, rather than letting negative things like, yeah, like a bad day. For now, I say at the moment for me, it's really that, it makes me think of parenting and um I was an amazing parent before I had kids and I just knew everything to do in every situation and now I have kids of my own and I fall into every single trap that you know is um so you know if I shout when I should have stayed calm or if I you know whatever I do that isn't the best way of handling things if I bribe rather than whatever I don't know you know if I bribe my son to get to do whatever by you know sweets whatever um and it's very easy to then go, oh, I've messed the whole thing up. And, you know, you. I think a, an older version of myself would have then spiralled. But I think being able to move on from that, I think I read something about people. It's a really beneficial thing to do. If, if something goes wrong, rather than dwelling in it, you take stock of what you've done and you learn from it. And I've been really trying to do that in recent months. You know, OK, something didn't go how I wanted it to. What could I do differently next time? And then move on from it. And not spend ages dwelling like I say in the kind of the negative side of things there's a really good book that I'll suggest to you it's really really good it's called letting go the art of surrender by David R Hawkins and just what you talked about there he just really just narrows it down and reverses it all and you're just like wow okay um two questions I've got for you um because I know I know that it's morning over in the UK and your kids are playing around so um one of the things is again being somebody who's grown up in the spotlight, so to speak, and, and got great accolades along that way, for anybody aspiring to go through the route of the entertainment industry, one thing I like to touch base on when I'm, I'm speaking to people being in there is what would you say in terms of a personal experience you'd say to your former or younger self again that someone on the externals listening at that point, what would you say to that younger self through everything that you've learned along that way? I think with in particularly with with the acting industry, um, because it's all based on uh, it's because so much of it is out of your control. That can be really frustrating. And if you hinge your self-worth to getting jobs, basically, which is so often nothing down, nothing to do with how well you perform or how nice you are or how hard your day's been or any of that stuff it really it can be as superficial as oh we just wanted someone blonde or we just wanted someone whatever you know older younger prettier whatever um having things that are within your control so I'm quite a creative person and I really love writing now but it was something that I only came to later and I think if I'd have put more energy into things that were within my control like that that just I think that's quite a good thing to do so having things for yourself that aren't dependent on what other people think of you and actually I found it really great I trained as a Pilates teacher a few years ago and just it was a really different experience going along to places and saying oh can I can I get a job here people saying yeah and that was it rather than like jumping through a million hoops or um 
yeah being being not chosen based on some small thing it's like can you do the job are you polite can you get on with people can you show up on time so I think yeah having things that are within your control can be a really beneficial thing yeah I think I think that though is um through the process of getting knows is great schooling for anything, isn't it really? That resilience, it, it certainly does. And like you say, you're writing now, you're a mother to two kids. Um, what do you do these days as a parent? Because as a parent myself, how do you look after your own mental wellness these days? And one thing I do always want to reiterate when it comes to the IPC and mental health is this isn't something where we talk about it and say we've had this all of a sudden miraculous, we're over it, it's done, we always need to keep in check. So how do you look after your own mental health and your well-being? It's really hard with a young baby and all of the things that, um, all of the framework that I would usually rely on becomes very difficult because you just don't have the time. So I think it's really about kind of one day at a time. Try. I find exercise really, really helps nothing crazy, nothing punishing, just kind of, um, sorry, and there's coughing going upstairs, everyone's ill. Um, COVID, just whatever. Um, <laughs> but but like a 20 minute hit in the house, hit workout, you know, just from YouTube or, cause I can't really, I know people have those running prams, but I don't have one. And also if I go for a run, I just want to be free. I don't want to be pushing the pram, you know? Um, but I know that works for some people, but just finding the time in the morning, to do 20 minutes or even 15 minutes or even 10 minutes, just, just move my body a bit. That is a big, that makes a big difference. And getting out of the house because it's very easy to get stuck. This is probably more like applicable to new mums, but yeah, just getting out of the house because I can get very tied up and oh, I've got to do that laundry and then that needs doing. And then, oh, she's crying again. So I have to do this. And then before I know it's four o'clock and I haven't left the house. Um, But getting out makes everyone happier. Um, and so yeah get out do exercise try and go to bed at a reasonable time because when everyone's asleep at the end of the day come you know eight o'clock eight thirty, whatever it is it's really tempting to then just stay up all night watching reality tv and zoning out and feeling like a human adult rather than just a mother yeah. um but then and then and then you know there's a the whole ritual of okay i've done all that now i've got to go and lie in bed and look at my phone for an hour and a half and it's just I really don't need to do that. <laughs> it's just like serving as a reminder to myself. I really shouldn't. I should just put the phone down, you know, unless you're watching an ASMR video to go to sleep, put the damn thing, <laughs> you know. Step away from it. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Because as uh, somebody like... Or better, just put it down. <laughs> oh, exactly. As, as somebody who has a career in the entertainment industry and you're also right and you're also a mother there are going to be those people in corporate who are trying to juggle everything as well so your advice from a personal experience there is just <laughs> take one step at a time yeah yeah 100 percent. just um <laughs> yeah i think breaking things down as well if you have like something you want to do then you know breaking things down into small doable chunks rather than looking at the whole mountain of something and feeling like it's impossible and then just sitting in sort of inactivity and, and feeling like it's all too much sometimes you do need to take a breather and I'm a big advocate of you know sometimes just okay just sack it off just sit down don't don't worry about whatever it is you need to do unless it's pressing you know um and sometimes you feel more reinvigorated after a break away from things to come back to them they're sounding already vague and cryptic but I'm sure hopefully that makes sense um uh I don't, if you want to write a book and then you think oh, I can't write a book how can I write a book I can't write a book Okay, well, why don't you start with 
writing things, make a plan and then break down what you might write, you know. Yeah, so breaking things down into small, manageable chunks and um, and not freaking out. If it's like it does, if something's not urgent, then it's not urgent, you know, don't worry about it. Exactly. That's uh, it's one of those things I just when people are like doing the comparison thing, when you was talking about then, I, I remember when we had our first child and my wife, she went to one of these mothers group because we've got no family in Australia. Hers are where? Yeah. Island and that and and she came back and she went I just can't cope like every other mother saying their kid's perfect like is is there something wrong with ours <laughs> I'm like don't compare just chill <laughs> just yeah bone down and it's the same as this the the body image the the aesthetics the looks the fame the everybody in this comparison syndrome the only person it's actually hurting is us and if we lead by mm-hmm. those imperfections which we're trying to teach through the imperfectly perfect campaign. Hopefully we can learn to love ourselves and then lead a happier life through that. Um, So I just want to say on behalf of the IPC, on behalf of coming on and sharing your story, thank you very much. What are you up to next? I know you're juggling between Pilates, writing, motherhood. Recalibrating from the last couple of years of mayhem that everyone's been going through and just, you know, I've got a baby who's six months old. And so gosh I don't know there's there's having just everything in life to do you know <laughs> I'd be having a break a six-month-old yeah. holiday <laughs> yeah 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 okay so where can where can anyone find you on your socials uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter mainly Instagram that's the one and nice and easy find, and they can find you on YouTube with some Pilates because when I was oh yeah there's some Pilates videos on there oh yeah I did a couple I should probably do more whenever when I have time yeah 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 yeah, I remember that now. I forgot that I did those last year, yeah. You did. I looked at it yesterday and I was like just looking at a few things and you've got like over like 114,000 who were looking at these videos. So maybe, yeah, some of them, like 114,000, there were 60,000 on one. And Get back to it. Like, well, that's what I'm going to do. Six months old in the pram and now I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a fitness influencer before you know it. That's my project for the end of the year. <laughs> well, as I say, thank you very much for taking this time out. Guys, I'm going to put all the links up to where you can find Rachel. But remember, keep having those hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.